Stunt Podcast. Hey everybody, before we begin today's special interview with Trust Wallet, I just wanted to introduce November's sponsor of the show, Async Art, the new blockchain art movement where people can create, collect, and trade programmable art. If you don't know, programmable artwork is made up of different layers that can evolve over time, reacting to its owners or even external factors like stock prices and the weather. And Async has a pretty big November coming up. On November 6th, you can check out a layer change on Micah Johnson's artwork, Sovereignty, that'll celebrate Bitcoin birthday for one of the children pictured in the art. The change will reveal a wallet, QR code, and address that will accept Bitcoin donations to help fund the child's future. On November 15th, look out for a crazy big drop featuring Trevor Jones and a lot of money of a work titled ETH Boy. The date could change, so make sure you stay tuned for future updates. And for all the updates and for everything else, make sure you go to async.art. That's A-S-Y-N-C dot art to check out all the things about async art. And now let's get into today's show. Okay, we're live. This is Matthew, and I'm back with my dude Rizzle for another special interview on the Matthew and Rizzle podcast. Today, our guests is the founder creator of one of the most important pieces of infrastructure and one of the most important tools in my personal opinion in crypto uh, he created an app that i use multiple times every single day and have been using for for many years over three years which is crazy to talk about crypto since a day is like a week a week is a month and a month is a year um but i'm really excited to be able to invite and have on uh, Victor Radchenko, founder, creator of Trust Crypto Wallet, also known as Binance's official wallet, to the show. So welcome to the show, Victor. Hey, guys. It's exciting to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, thank you for accepting. And to get started, I think it would be cool if you could just introduce yourself and then kind of go into your professional background, like what you were doing before you created Trust. Yeah, totally. Um, I think my life is kind of spread around like kind of different lives in a way. So um, I was born in Ukraine and then, you know, I spent my young uh, years uh, doing interesting things like, you know, growing tomatoes, helping my parents and doing my own like small businesses back when I was like 8, 10, 12. So it's quite fun times. I know the way like I go back. Um, but at the same time, I was like playing ping pong professionally from 7 to 14. You know, I spent, you know, like lots of my time just practicing, trying to get better at what I do. Um, and this is kind of what I see now kind of being paid out um, because whenever you invest your time into, you know, some sports um, or some other um, things, you definitely have a payoff like way later. And then at some point, you know, I got a computer around like 14 years old and then starting hacking on different things, staying up late, doing, you know, different kind of like playing games trying to hack some apps, you know, trying to change uh, games and stuff. And then this is where I got interested into just, you know, just doing security and stuff. Um, and then, you know, I decided that I want to join university, learn more about like security, computer science. And I was doing it for you know multiple years. And then at some point, you know, I decided that, um, you know, I need to do something else. And so I started like doing a community of, uh, for hacker security people. So this is something I ran for a couple of years where I wanted to share my knowledge that I learned and then share it with everyone else. Um, and at the same time, it was like super fun to have a community where people are like collaborative with each other. Um, and then at the same time, uh, I was trying to like, you know, play around with some of the 
um, websites out there. And so one time I found uh, a bank which had like a vulnerability, like a SQL injection that allowed you to see information that uh, you usually won't see. And so I reported to the bank and this is how I got my like official first job. Uh, there was like pretty quick process. Um, they didn't have any like security at that point. That was back in 2010. And they were like, oh, do you want to come and help us? I was like, sure. Like I'm doing <laughs> full time at the university. Um, I would be happy to help you guys as well because like I have all this knowledge. I want to like utilize it properly. So it was kind of a good opportunity for me to get started. Um, so I was doing that and then, you know, for six or so months. And then at some point I got in trouble with, you know, with the government of uh, Ukraine a little bit. So I had to kind of leave my country and then come to U.S. So I think that was the biggest move of my life in general, because this is where I had to like let go everything I had in Ukraine, like my parents, my brother, um, and I had to come here. Uh, that was pretty challenging, but at the same time, um, you know, that was kind of the only option. And then once I came here to U.S., um, you know, the challenge was like, okay, what I'm going to do now? I don't have education, you know, I haven't finished it. Um, and so I thought that, you know, I want to start learning how to build things rather than break things and then just kind of secure them. So I think it's totally different perspective on things. Um, and then since then, I decided to switch on doing mobile development. So that was something where I said like, okay, this is my focus is going to be for the next 10 years because I feel like mobile is going to be the way to build things and the way uh, we interact uh, with technology. And so that was uh, 2011. So this is when I started doing like mobile development and just learning how to code, to be honest. So before I had experience with like writing some scripts, but it's sort of different from perspective when you build things, you want to make sure they're organized, something you can scale, make it modular and so on. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I got into, you know, development like full time. Um, and then in the past couple of years, um, I would say that, you know, I founded the company back in 2013, which was related to tracking because I live in Sacramento. I knew about one problem that my uh, friend would always tell me, like, it's super hard to find uh, truck stops uh, to stop at night whenever we like drive. And so I was like, oh, let me build you an app for it. And so I built an app. It got to like, you know, half a million downloads, which is quite crazy. Um, and then at some point, you know, we raised money and then sold the company. So that was pretty good because, you know, it's nice to have an exit at some point. And I thought that um, I want to take some time off. So I took some time off, um, just did nothing for about a year, traveled around U.S., um, you know, slept in the car, slept in the park, camping everywhere, um, like stayed with couch surfing. So that was kind of interesting to experience the life uh, from a different perspective. Yeah. And then at some point, you know, joined the company just to kind of learn my, um, continue improving my skill set. Um, it was a banking for uh, companies. So it means that I wanted to help businesses um, and build a better solution for them to run finance. So I was doing that. At the same time, this is where I started um, getting more into crypto. Um, I think this is totally different from where I learned it because I learned about Bitcoin back in uh, 2012 um, because one of the friends that I have, he, he was like buying some drugs on Silk Road and this is where he showed me uh, what is like Tor, how do you get in there and doing all this crazy things. Um, and so he was one of the guys who said like, oh, I bought a bunch of Bitcoins for like $9. And I was like, wow. I don't know why would you do that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so when you, I look back, I was like, wow, that was an interesting move. Uh, but yeah. And so besides that, I um, basically started getting into Ethereum um, and then just understanding what it is, how it works. And at some point, I wanted to invest into ICOs. I did. And then I realized that there's only option is like using my Ether wallet. I was like, oh, that's quite limited. I wanted to have my money on my phone. 
Um, and so since then, I thought, okay, let's build an app. So it took me two weeks to build the first version. I released it to the App Store, um, you know, sent it to my friends, and that's how it all started. And then, you know, kind of took off from there. Uh, but pretty much my story, how I got into, you know, like development, crypto, and then building Trust Wallet. Holy crap, dude. You have a fascinating story. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, all right. So you have like one of the most amazing apps in crypto. Um, how? What does the company look like now, man? I imagine you're not doing it by yourself and just being able to like piece things together in a couple of weeks. It, I mean, at least I'm in Matt's boat in terms of, you know, having used Trust Wallet for many years now. And in my opinion, is is top notch in terms of the wallets out there there uh after these two weeks happened and you launched the app uh, what, what do things look like these days in, in terms of you know the company or is it a company that has like a lot of people underneath of you or, or you know how does it work yeah so um the team is super small so i think for the for the first year we were running a two and a half people team so which meant that it was like me doing ios there was android guy and there was um uh someone who was like working part-time so that's why it's two and a half um, and so that was quite fun. So I think we ran it for almost a year. And at some point we thought like, okay, that's quite challenging just to be a small team. So that's why we started like to get more people um, to join us. And then I think uh, at some point, you know, we got acquired by Binance and this is where it kind of took interesting turn in a more positive way for me, because this is a time where I felt more you know, secure just because I didn't need to really be focused on like, how are we going to sustain? How are we going to pay? money and then do all of this kind of things and raise money because it's always tough. Like I don't like to deal with investors. Um, they're always paying us to deal with um, because I want to be focused on building a product, you know, work for mm -hmm. users rather than for investors in that case. Um, and then now our team is around uh, 11 people total. So it means that we have eight people on the tech side uh, and then, um, you know, someone who helps community support uh, and marketing. So the team is pretty small though. So I think it's 11 people total, including myself. And then I'm still involved in building. Uh, so I spent 70, 80% of my time just writing code. Uh, that's pretty much my, my focus is. Every time I hear that fact that you only have 11 people on your team, that it just, it's bonkers to me because, and I, I'm not trying to show trust. Like, I just think it's that good that I, I can't imagine how, why, like, why is it so damn good? Why is it so reliable consistently? Um, how do you ensure such great quality standard with what you're, you're creating with 11 yeah. people? Um, you know, like the way I look at things usually is that um, I'm like heavy user myself. So I use um, trust, you know, on daily basis. And I'm the person who always try to explore. So I try to like see what is that new dApp that came out today? Like, how does it work? Like, let me try and, and play around with it. And so... Because, you know, everyone on our team is so involved into building, you know, the product, like building into building process at the same time, trying to use crypto to understand how it works. Um, so I think we're always exploring. I think based on that, you can probably imagine then whenever we find any type of bugs, we like fix them right away because we're mm -hmm. not just fixing for the users. We're fixing them first for ourselves mm -hmm. because that's something that blocks us to move forward, learn, and explore. Um, I think by having that type of responsibility, you want to make sure that you kind of work for both because initially trust started just to kind of solve my own problem. I wanted to build a wallet for myself, but it turns out to be useful for others. And so this is where the motivation kind of switched to that. Now it's not just, you know, product that kind of fits my own use cases, but also for users who really want to use in a different way. So I think it's always important to 
think about that and think about like how can you build something super small um, and that something that works. I think there's a naming phrase. It's called uh, uh, like damn stupid or something like that. I forgot. Um, so basically, what it means whenever you create something, it needs to be uh, stupidly simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of our mantra as well is that we're going to be lazy developers. We don't want to write too many features that kind of useless. We want to just focus on things that needs to be reliable and to make sure they're like available 24 seven. Because if you think about decentralized finance, it's all about being reliable. So to make sure that there's not going to be a downtime whenever like one node is going down, you want to make sure your wallet is connected to the network of different nodes. Um, and I think it's a core of kind of foundation of our wallet. Dude, full disclosure, I probably would not have used or found Trust Wallet, uh, honestly, had I not sort of fallen down the rabbit hole of NFT land. And that is one of the things that I like about it the most is that it sort of just displays all my NFTs like pretty seamlessly and everything. And, you know, being far down that rabbit hole, rabbit hole, I'm just interested what you see on your end if or if it's just sort of like, you know, compiled in the algorithm and, and you don't see a lot on your end. But in terms of like NFT growth and like like ad, uh, adaptation in the trust wallet and everything like what has there anything interesting emerged? And and then the other question that I sort of have piggybacking off on that is that will we see at any point like multiple chain NFT collectibles being able to be seen on trust wallet or, or maybe it even is. And I'm just like overlooking at it, but uh, just, yeah, very interested in what you've seen uh, in terms of the NFT side of things in the last couple of years. Yeah. I think on the NFT side, I think there's so much to improve in terms of technology yet. So you know, the way I look at it uh, from a perspective of, you know, being building a decentralized finance. So in order to use NFTs right now in wallets, you still need to use lots of centralized services like OpenSea that provide, you know, like proprietary API in a way, even though it's public for anyone to use. But at the same time, there is no easy way to even parse data from the blockchains. It's like quite challenging because there is no clear standards. And there's like lots of NFTs that super old, they don't have you know, specific documentation and everything. So I think we're still going to need to wait until there's going to be more technology built in terms of just getting that data from the chain itself. You know, it's much nicer when you kind of parse it and then put it into like Postgres database and then display it. So I think that's one problem I see in NFTs in general. Um, So in terms of usage, um, I think um, NFT users are the most active uh, based on like some of the measurements we're looking at because you know, usually in gaming as well, people are super active. They, you know, do so, many, so much activity. And so I think that's what I see also with NFTs. I don't think we have a large number of users, but we do have large number or like large activity in terms of usage. I think that's definitely clear on that side. Yeah, but, you know, NFTs is quite early on. And I do believe that in the next couple of years, we're going to see more things developed on uh, different chains or different layers. So it means that, you know, if we talk about Ethereum, then we're going to see lots of more NFT solutions built on layer two solutions. So in this case, we would be able to quickly make transactions and move different items around. Uh, because currently, if you want to transfer one asset, uh, it would cost you like too much. Um, and that's very ineffective. So we need to make sure that we build a technology that will be effective in that sense. Um, and it's still early. Um, I haven't seen any good solutions out there in the market. Neither has seen any good uh, progress on other chains too. So I think everyone is trying to build, but at the same time, like in order to build NFT community, you also need to build a community of developers and other people in like in your blockchain space. 
but I do believe there's going to be more new rivals that will come out, right? Like, you know, CryptoKitties guys are building their own blockchain. I believe they have enough expertise and knowledge and also influence to build a better technology for uh, collectibles. So it would be interesting to see what they're going to come up with. But it all comes down to kind of a couple of things, you know, good incentives for uh, content creators and as well, um, you know, good platform for developers to create things on top of it. So it would be quite challenging to build a game on Ethereum right now because it won't be uh, economically effective. Uh, so that's why, like, we need to have a mix of kind of both where there's enough tooling to build things, there is enough content creators, and there is enough incentive to work in this space or community. It's definitely going to be interesting how things settle out. Like, I think a lot of people are sort of hypothesizing that still, like, value settlement will happen on on Ethereum somehow, but then the actual gaming day to day will happen on uh, either different blockchains or different layers, uh, more finely tuned to the needs of the actual activity, whether that be gaming or like um, high speed transactions, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's still very early innings. <laughs> uh, we're, we're definitely like the first inning of the first game. Um, so a lot more ahead of us, but I kind of want to go back in time. Uh, not, not, far as far back as you growing tomatoes in ukraine (laughs) um but sort of back to the summer uh, of 2018 when trust was acquired i feel like that that was a really special moment and within crypto generally it was sort of um the culmination of of a time in crypto that had been at the end of like this really hot um, bubble within the space, right? There had been intense building. There's the ICO craze. Um, and then there's a couple products uh, that be- got massive usage. There's Cypher Wallet and then Trust Wallet. Uh, both of you, you ended up getting acquired by different entities. I'm just wondering if you could kind of like walk us through how a crypto project like yourself got acquired. Um, like what was the process? Did you do any outbound research? Uh, reach out? Is this something that like CZ just contacted you directly? Like walk us through the actual like nuts and bolts of how it happens, how quickly uh, it came together and, and that, that side of things. Cool. Um, I think I'll start with uh, meeting Pete from Cypher Browser. Uh, I think it was back in 2017, mm-hmm. probably before I remember like I met him in some of the meetups and he was like showing the Cypher Browser. That was like super cool because he was probably, yeah, I think he was the first one who built you know, a mobile dev browser mm-hmm. and he was showing how it works. And it was like super exciting to me because back then trust wallet was uh, just Ethereum and ERC20 wallet. But what he was able to build is way more than you can, you can imagine as wallet. So he had all those dApps and you can play, on, play around with on mobile. It was super exciting. Um, and at the time I was like talking to him as well, like talking about like the future for wallets and how it's going to be playing out. But at the same time, we talked about like, how can we build this sustainable product? because that's definitely was on top of our minds because at some point we both uh, left our like full-time jobs to focus on the products we were doing. And the question was, is okay, um, what will happen if um, you start raising money? So, okay, you're going to raise like 2 million in funding for the series A, and then you make progress, you build new features, you gain new users. But then at some point the investor is like, okay, how many users do you have? Like uh, that's not enough. Right. So like, they will be always pushing you to have more users. Um, and then you, you might need to sacrifice some of the things in terms of maybe security just to build a better model for investors. And so that was quite challenging. And so uh, this is the time when, you know, that was kind of in my mind. And 
you know, I think we could be sustainable for Trust Wallet for quite a long time because I previously had an exit at startup. So our team was like small. Um, it wasn't like too much of a burn rate to run. But at the same time, we need to to look into the future and see how can we sustain our team? How can we build, uh, you know, like open source tools for ourselves and other developers to, you know, contribute to ecosystem, build wallets easily. Um, and this is the time uh, where I met some of the folks from Binance and some other people. Um, I think the story behind that, um, it wasn't as simple that we got acquired. So I had other challenges. So before that happened, probably like two months prior, um, um, we wanted to have an ICO and we wanted to call that like trust platform, a platform for developers, for content creators and decks and other things to build inside trust world as ecosystem, as a platform. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something um, I wanted to run. So um, at the same time, we wanted to build or like run public ICO on hybrid network uh, platform. At that point it was, it would be calling like Genesis, Genesis uh, open something. I forgot the name of it. So I raised like 5 million in private funding and then for the ICO itself, and then wanted to raise another five on the public sale. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I was talking to Binance. And so there was like a big challenge. Like, what do we do? What do we do now? Because, you know, I raised some funds from investors and then like, how do we get acquired? Like, what do you do with the money that's already raised for the token sale? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big challenge to make the decision. And that happened like three weeks before uh, we were supposed to go public on Kyber Network. Um, like token sale. And so at that point I realized that, you know, my main strengths are like doing development, doing product um, building. And then my focus would be always on building. I don't want to worry much about like the business model. And I just want to focus on a product, having a small team and just continue developing a product for the users. And so I decided that, you know, the best choice for me would be to join Binance, have all the freedom and all the resources I need to make my ideas um, happen. Um, and so, you know, when I met with CZ, you know, I think we had good collaboration on that. And so we had a good deal where, you know, I get all the freedom and then, you know, I have all the independence inside Binance to run the team and not to be worried much about like Binance internal politics or internal, like just uh, rules. And so our team specifically now is like independent from Binance uh, units in general, even though like most Binance team are like pretty decentralized by itself. So it's very good structure, um, the way you would run teams, especially like remote. Um, I think it worked out pretty well for me, even though most people will say it's probably not true, but you know, I, I've been acquired before, so I kind of know what it feels like to be in companies that got acquired. So this is definitely something um, that doesn't usually happen um, just because you know, there's totally different philosophy on how new companies will be built in the future. Um, and I think having this kind of distributed mechanism that every team is independent is make it more effective, right? So you can also see by team effectiveness, how well they ship based on how much freedom they have, right? Mm-hmm. So if a team has enough freedom, they would be able to quickly iterate, work on a product and not worry about like other things that could slow them down. No, I mean, that was one of the most surprising things for me because you had mentioned meeting Pete early on. Pete had been the creator of Cypher, which was eventually acquired by Coinbase, now called Coinbase Wallet. And then you, uh, uh, with Trust, getting acquired by Binance. It's like these these two different, obviously very highly related test cases. And it's just been night and day, in, in my personal opinion, on the outcome of both products. The fact that Binance has offered you so much freedom uh, for you guys to continue development uh, as you 
as you deem fit versus Coinbase Wallet, which, I mean, it's essentially kind of a broken product for me. It never works with most of the dApps. Um, and I, obviously, the way that Coinbase operates is, is is very, very polar opposite to the way that Binance is operated. So it's it's fascinating in that regard. So they, they do give you all the autonomy, uh, Binance aside, to build as you do see fit. How do, how do they incorporate you into kind of like the broader plan? Like, do you come together a certain number of times a year to kind of like share the, the product roadmap that, that you're on? Um, like, how is the actual incorporation um, made salient, I guess? Yeah, so I think internally, um, it's also like, I think one of the other things that I'm currently learning is how do you, uh, lead a decentralized team. So we have 11 people, right? And so every single person lives in a separate city. So the question is, how do we run such teams? How do you make sure, you know, we get things done and there is no miscommunication, nothing. It's like, it's very challenging as it is, um, you know, for any company. I don't think it's specific to trust, but it's interesting as a challenge for me personally. Um, how do we like set up this flow, make sure like everyone communicates well and all the kind of things. But at the same time, how do you communicate uh, with like finance, for example? So, I'm personally on the side of not having too many meetings with anyone. So I try to, you know, cut down any meetings. Like we don't have daily standups in my team. We only have like one uh, weekly sync ups and that's pretty much like the flow we would like to go with uh, at least like over audio. Like there, we do lots of text uh, messaging, all that, but this is more like async communication um, in terms of, you know, like how do we share things between uh, internally, um, you know, like, I like to have meetings with different people, like one-on-ones, just to kind of share feedback. But besides that, we have like, you know, monthly review where we can go over about the product changes, things we're working on, things we did well, things that doesn't work well. Um, and it's not about specifically of sharing data, but it's, well, but it's more about like collaborating. Like here's the things that are working well. For example, if DeFi is taking up, we need to make sure that we can, you know, provide all the support for other users and make sure we like always stay on top of the, um, the tech. Um, yeah, th- so I think it's the, the process is quite, um, you know, simple for me, you know, having weekly, like monthly reviews is quite useful, but at the same time, like I don't like meetings, so I will cut them down if there's any, um, so it works out pretty well. And, you know, you can imagine that if you build the right structure in terms of teams, you don't really need to have lots of, um, communication. So I think that's very important to have that like foundation for all the teams internal as well, especially if you're on like company like Binance, which has over like thousand people now. Um, so it's very important that we like decentralize it properly because I do believe that in five years or so, you know, Binance would be a decentralized company where you won't have maybe even centralized services anymore at all. Like, I think that's kind of the future we going to. And so I think it's all about like transition and how do you build business that could change itself. And it's all about like challenging, right? Like, yeah, I think it's good to build centralized exchange that makes money is profitable but at the same time how do you invest all this money to build a decentralized future you want to make sure that you you're sustainable because if you're not sustainable like i do you have investors like who is funding you so i think i think having a source would always drive your decisions but if you're a profitable company you can make decisions easier on how you're going to move forward so i, I totally believe that you know binance uh, will be quite decentralized in five years maybe with not without having you know even centralized exchange but it all depends on user needs. Like if we're able enough, if we're able quickly switch the technology so it's like fully decentralized, everyone could be in custody of their own funds because having custody over your funds, it's still a challenging process. You still have so much risk involved into it and not everyone is able uh, to make the transition. 
Yeah. And so I think on the question regarding like what's the future plan for trust, um, I think we just want to be the wallet that helps to connect all the decentralized finance. And we're not very opinionated about like which blockchain we integrate. We want to support everything and everyone there. Like that's the reason why we support so many different blockchains, over 50. And we open source the code that allows anyone to build support for 50 blockchains. Um, so I think that's kind of our goal is not just to build the world for ourselves, but also to others. And our library is used by many other you know, companies out there in the market already. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to kind of provide something that people use, not on the level of just product, but also like open source. Dude, that's 100% one of the things I like the most about Trust is that it supports like pretty much everything or I can import whatever it is that I want. Um, I, so obviously in the market right now, we're in the midst of like a big upswing and hopefully we are still by the time this podcast drops. Uh, if, if things ramp up significantly, what challenges does that present, you know, for you guys in Trust Wallet or, you know, is the infrastructure essentially in place that you're ready for a big upswing or, or is that like very hard to predict how that's going to shake out depending on how that goes? But like, you know, let, let's say things continue to roll along quite nicely and, and you know, the market gets hot once again. Um, where does that leave you guys? Um, I think we should be in good conditions in terms of the product. So because we're being focused so much on stability and making sure every transaction go through, because it's quite a challenge to make that true. Because like running nodes for blockchains are quite hard. So there's lots of optimizations that we need to learn on how to do it properly. And then the other question is like how to build um, architecture that less independent on specific nodes or specific endpoints. So now we have this architecture where you know, mobile clients are connected to multiple different nodes across the globe, whichever is faster, whichever is uh, in sync. Um, and so this is the format of the functionality we want to use. So one example I'll give you. Um, so like, you know, MetaMask runs only on just one provider. So it uses Infura. So for us, if you use some of the blockchains, it uses lots of different endpoints behind the scenes. It's using like, you know, five or 10 different nodes to connect to. So in this case, we're not just relying on specific um, service to provide, but we spin up nodes that we provide as a trusted nodes you can use. But soon, like by probably early next year, we're going to provide ability to use your own node inside Trust. So it means that if you're running your own Geth node, you would be able to put that URL and that's it. You're going to use all the functionality you used before just um, with your own node. So in this case, you don't even need to trust uh, the nodes we're running. Um, and the beauty of this is that we did a huge refactor in terms of how our decentralized exchanges work. So now we support like Binance Chain, Uniswap. So the cool part, if you connect it to your node, you can do Uniswap trades just inside a trust wallet. So that's the beauty of it. It doesn't depend on any centralized uh, APIs from our end. Um, and so this is kind of the future we'd like to build um, internally. So maybe for most users, it's not something they're going to use, but I think this is going to be a fundamental change for us not to depend or on our own centralized services. Damn, shots fired, number one. But that's that's the incredible kind of development or, or direction that you guys are going, um, giving all that power to the user. And, I mean, talking about the distinction between mobile versus desktop, uh, me personally, it's just been crypto for me has always been more associated, more closely associated with especially better user experience on mobile. Everything's sleek, slick, trust, and especially the the DAP browser itself just makes crypto so much better on mobile. Uh, but heading forward, how do you see the mobile versus desktop distinction playing out? Do you, do you see there always being... Um, 
like a split reality, um, always having to have the desktop option with like an extension option. Uh, do you see that being the the dominant mode of interacting with Web3 heading forward? Do you see um, they, mo- most regular browsers starting to incorporate or natively um, have a wallet element? Um, do you see more, more users and more apps building specifically for a better mobile experience? I'm curious how you think about the, the difference between mobile versus desktop in the Web3 space? Yeah, um, I think if we look at desktop, I think main usage right now is by, you know, people who are developers or people who are whales. So those are the two main use cases why people use desktop for the most part, because they need to connect their ledgers and other devices or hardware wallets. Um, and it's not really easy to do on mobile yet. Um, so I think the question when that's going to you know migrate. But in general, like if you're a developer, you definitely want to use desktop to build apps, test them. Um, I think MetaMask is a good solution for that. Um, so that's why we never wanted to go into that space. And because we know there's a better products out there and we don't want to compete with them. Neither like we have enough resources yet to focus on that. So our focus was always mobile from different perspectives. You know, just first, you know, everyone uses mobile um, across the globe, right? Many countries don't even have desktop. Um, so I think it's very important to understand. Like if you go to countries like I don't know, Brazil or China, like everyone on mobile, they don't have computers. So that's something to understand. But then also like mobile has other properties that are are better, like security wise, it's definitely better to have like secure enclave and other functionalities that allow you to create those uh, sandbox application, um, which are more secure than any app would be on desktop. Um, So I think that's a benefit. So if you talk about like uh, crypto wallets, we want to always think about like security. I think this is the foremost, the most important um, thing to do. But um, desktop good for development long term, but I do believe that other platforms would also maybe support some of the functionality. So the new Macs, for example, they support ARM-based applications. So it means you can run uh, Trust Wallet on your new Mac that just came out. So it's like MacBook Air. So you would be able to run Trust Wallet in there. So it means like it is kind of like functional now on the desktop, which is quite nice. So I haven't tested it. I'm waiting for the Mac to come come over. Um, but besides that. You know, the focus would be how do you build this experience that doesn't feel like something luggy or kind of injected in something else. So I do feel like having a dev browser inside the mobile wallet is like just weird. And for most people, it's just confusing and from different perspective. Um, and so what will happen um, in the next couple of years from a mobile perspective is lots of new companies will be built as a mobile applications. So there will be dApps as a native interface to crypto. Um, so as you can see, you know, Uniswap is still a web. You will see that Uniswap interface will be natively integrated and natively built as independent apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's going to come pretty soon. Because if you think about that, um, all these wallets that are already on the market, including like Trust Wallet, will already provide some interface uh, for other developers to use in order to like sign transactions uh, send message, share the address. So it means if you want to build a native application for iOS and Android, you'd be able to do it now. So there's already uh, a few products that build this. So one is Zerion, Zerion app, and also um, Frontier. So they use Trust Wallet SDK in order to uh, sign transactions internally. So in this case, you have UI interface, but you don't need to worry about private keys because private keys will be handled by like Trust, for example. So in this case, it's speed up development for developers. And then it just makes user experience on mobile so much better. Yeah. And I assume that, you know, what will happen like a couple of years after, you know, most of the um, OS systems like Android and iOS, they will support 
uh, native key storage management. So in this case, you could probably restore your wallet on the OS level rather than a specific app. And so most of the apps will become kind of interfaces to crypto, which will mm-hmm. make security better uh, long term. But, you know, those are the interfaces that will help you to do all the operations in crypto, like do exchanges, you know, use collectibles and other sorts of things. You know, for what it's worth, Victor, I would I would use your desktop app if you created a, a great one. And, you know, coming from a day trading background, you know, most mobile apps are like pretty much unusable just because their inability to display the volume of information you need to like see to make a reasonable decision, you know, at the same time. It's just very clunky if you're, you know, someone who's crunching numbers and looking at charts and everything like that. And to think of some sort of streamlined desktop version of trust where I could see all of that information simultaneously is like a trader's dream come true. So just like, just want to throw like a third category in there because I know you said like the, the dominant categories are uh, a couple things, but uh, that, that is for me, like one thing where I struggle with a lot of the apps out there and again, love trust and wouldn't have stumbled upon it had it not been for NFTs. And because of that, it's become my default uh, mobile wallet, but I, I guess I'm like a dinosaur in like this weird category of people who like really prefer desktop uh, applications just because the ability to see the volume of information simultaneously. So put it on the back burner, man. I'm sure you got like much more important stuff to worry about, but just know you got at least one user out there if you come up with like a solid uh, you know desktop variety. There's definitely definitely more than one user. Um, I think it's a very common use case to do trading. I think it's kind of the challenge between like, um, okay, are you able to incorporate all the functionalities that traders need? Like if you put all the 80 functionality, uh, 80% of the functionality, traders won't be happy, but they're like, oh, this is still missing. I, I just still need more information. But at the same time, it's going to clog your interface. So it's going to be like super clutter for the rest of the users. And so it's like hard to make the decision where you want to keep it minimal and then as reliable as possible. But then you have the other niche, which is like traders. They want like high frequency trading. They want to have all these buttons and pricing all real time and all on the screen. Um, so it's definitely hard to make the decision on a product level. So I think on a technical level, we could do it. But the question is, like, how do you merge that in into the product? So this is where we find this as challenging. And then like, sort of related to the mobile desktop distinction, and you touched on it a little bit, is the, the on the OS level, building your product to satisfy certain requirements on like for, for iOS and the Apple store um, listing requirements on the app side uh, and then Android. It feels like they're two different, very, very, very different, obviously um, operating systems. And from my, my perspective as like an Android user based in Asia um, versus what I've seen for Apple's approach to, to like web three, enabled apps, it seems like Apple is very uh, confrontational or hasn't really internalized its approach to how to deal with or incorporate uh, effectively Web3 enabled apps and and crypto generally. So like, how do you think about that distinction longer term? Do you think that Apple will eventually develop a policy or an approach that will be less confrontative with with crypto uh, and Web3 enabled apps? Or how do you see that playing out heading forward? Yeah, I think simple answer to that. If you're going to give 30% to Apple, they're going to be happy. Um, that's kind of <laughs> the solution. Um, but in reality, um, there's lots of kind of problems with that, right? Like the reason why Apple is so against these kind of solutions where you have dev browser, dynamic content, and then just such a large surface to attack, 
So this is where we're really concerned. But at the same time, they want to make sure they make money. Mm-hmm. So in this case, if you're trying to sell collectibles, you know, you want to share 30% with them. Um, the problem, though, there is no tooling to make this happen. So we're still early on in that kind of talks. But I wonder, like, if Apple is going to come out with some guidelines in the future that will help us developers to build integration that will allow us maybe share 30%. Who knows? Maybe someone will want to give that piece to them. I personally don't. Um, I feel that, you know, we want to be responsible for our own distribution. So if Apple is able to provide that, we'll do it ourselves. We're happy to provide distribution for people who come from the App Store downloads, and then we'll just have you know subscription that pays 30%. But if we have our own users who want to do our own distribution, I don't want to pay that like large toll to Apple. So I think that's a big pain. So in this case, like for Android, we have ability to distribute on Google Play. We have APK download. So APK download is like the most decentralized way to run you know uh, kind of like Android apps. So in this case. Uh, you don't need to be listed anywhere. Just download the app and use it. You know, there's still some kind of security concerns in terms of like validation. Like how do you make sure this is a valid app, even though it's a little bit tricky to even say like on a Google Play. So at least on Google Play, you have some type of review system. You have like number of downloads. So it gives uh, better security for users to understand this is a valid product. It's not some fake uh, app they downloaded. Um, But at the same time, like, uh, supporting Android infrastructure is also not easy because you need to take care of other phones that not uh, the same. So like if you go to China, then you will see there's like um, phones like Huawei that doesn't even have Google Play services on their phones. So it means that most of the functionality won't work, like push notifications, and then your app would even crash sometimes. So you want to make sure you support different variety of different uh, modification of Android. Um, but on the level of just you know collectibles in in app purchases i think it's going to be a challenge in general for apple to see how they're going to fit into this uh, market because they want to make sure they provide good user experience and then this is something that is secure and also they can make money so everyone needs to be happy in this uh, paradigm so if not you know things will be shaken down and you get delisted from the app store that's pretty simple yeah they're pretty tough on this so you know, um, I think I mentioned this before when we had a talk with them regarding the dev browser. So they didn't really have had a choice for us. They said, like, you either remove that browser or we delist uh, TrustWallet from the App Store. Like, that's the true story about this. That's so crazy. Yeah, I just feel like their their approach is so it's so gangster like, and that demand for like thirty percent of sales it just seems so unreasonable. Um, especially when folks are in charge of their own money, it's just like really you're you're going to try to gouge us for thirty percent heading for it. But mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how how that that pans out on the, the Apple side. But I'm in the time uh, for the time being, I'm really happy that I'm not a Mac user. The last question I personally had. Uh, and this is a really interesting theme that seems to have run throughout your career um, is how community is sort of like interwoven into either the products that you're building um, or just like your, your general actions. And trust seems to be a product that has great brand affinity. It has a really strong network of users. And I dare say like a passionate core community of users who like can't stop raving about your product, saying how good it is, um, that kind of like want to interact with it more and more. And I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the the core base of users that you have and if you have any like broader thoughts on, um, like, or if you, if you even see it as existing, like this community of, of trust users. 
I think it's challenging because like um, I never think about this type of things, right? Like I just kind of go with the flow and just behave um, the way I am. Um, you know, I'll just start like, how do we get the first 50 users uh, for Trust Wallet? And then we'll kind of see how that kind of pans out long term. So whenever like, you know, I build trust, you know, upload it to the App Store. So there's no downloads, right? Like no one's going to do it. So the way I got like 50 downloads and 50 reviews on the App Store is quite easy. So I basically went to every single person that I knew in my community. I'm like a hustler. So like we need to test it out the product. We need to get some reviews in the App Store because if there is no reviews, no one is going to download it. Mm -hmm. So every person I see that has, you know, iPhone or Android, I was like, all right, let's download Trust Wallet. Let's leave a good review and I'll put you like $5 worth of Ether. So that was my kind of the selling uh, pitch. And so I think in the first week or two, this is how I got like 50 users and then 50 downloads. Um, and that's pretty much like my mantra. Like, you know, you want to always be pushing. You know, if there is a new cool technology, there is a new cool product, I would always show it and share it and do type of stuff, you know. And I think this is kind of how community creates around you is on your energy. So if you're really you know, positive about, you know, crypto, you share your knowledge and people will kind of follow the lead and try to do the same. So it's always important to show um, by example. Um, and so the rest will follow. Um, and, you know, like I try to use so many different products and uh, project in crypto. You know, the last one I tried, uh, it's a circle, uh, circle garden. It's UBI on the crypto. Mm -hmm. So that, that was interesting on the way they built like this circle communities when you refer different people and you need to get verified before you can join the circle. Mm -hmm. So that was a challenge. So I had to reach out to a few people to make sure they <laughs> approve my invite. So I think that was fun. Good experience. Yo, dude, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, one of the way we, we sort of like to wrap things up here is by sort of shaking out your own trust wallet, man, and, and interested in like what stuff outside of your own projects in the crypto sphere that you've been either interested in or like tinkering around with or like what, what sort of side interests in this world do you have going on? Um, so like on the side of like different technology that I'm looking for, um, I'm definitely looking for different ways to swap assets across blockchains. This is like being on my mind for a while. So it's fascinating that in like 10 years, we still don't have a way to swap Bitcoin to Ethereum, like in very trustless way. It just fascinates me. Like how is that didn't happen yet? Like why we don't have enough developers and motivation to like sit down, work on their solutions. So I'm interested to see what other projects working on in that type of space. Um, so that's my main kind of focus where I was looking at, because once we can establish this, um, you know, how you can say multi-planetary connections, but in this case, multi-blockchain connections. So it will help us move forward in terms of just standards um, across different blockchains. So we can share assets freely from one place to another. You know, it could be at first like Ethereum to Bitcoin um, or vice versa. But in the future, you would be able to transfer your NFTs from one place to another, like through blockchains and so they will live on different planetary systems i would say so that would be pretty fascinating to see i think this would be this would be a big uh, step forward in terms of uh technology in general cool. and then before we do wrap things up if you have any shout outs or any uh updates that you want folks to look out for uh in the short term feel free to let folks where they should be following you following trust uh, and what they should be looking out for yeah, um, so we're available on Twitter. So, you know, Trust Wallet and Twitter, Trust Wallet app. And then my username is VicMeApp. Um, but then we also have a TikTok account now, which we just recently created to like share all the memes. So make sure to follow. Uh, I think TikTok for us would be a fun play uh, to have fun. I think it's a very interesting platform, just the way you kind of create content. 
Um, so let's let's see if we can attract more people who are not using crypto from TikTok uh, to trust and give them ability to use crypto. So I think that's quite important. That's awesome. I'll give you a follow up on TikTok after we wrap yeah. up. Yeah, but besides that, you know, like my shootout would be to everyone, you know, like keep on building and keep on inviting people to crypto. So I think that's quite simple. So like you always want to share knowledge to people who don't use crypto yet. Um, one example I'll give you, um, I went just to, like just before the session, um, I went to uh, my tennis trainer and I was talking to him regarding Bitcoin. So, and then I was like talking to him about like what Bitcoin is and all of that. And so he was like, okay, you should set me up with a wallet next time you see me. So I'm going to see him <laughs> next week. So uh, make sure you guys do the same. Like, make sure you bring people to crypto. You know, give them a little bit of crypto to understand how it works, uh, so they have like a feeling of owning uh, crypto asset. Yeah, so still trying to get my mom to know how to work her <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> but uh, for onboarding, definitely sending people crypto. That's that in my experience, that's that's been the most powerful way to onboard people um, to begin with. So, hundred percent support that. And Victor, well, oh, yeah. it's. It's been a fascinating conversation, man. We we definitely weren't able to hit everything. We need to have you on again to talk about your professional ping pong career, uh, what exactly you did to piss off the Ukrainian government <laughs> such that they kicked you out and stuff like that. I feel like there's so many more stories we can hit. But I just want to thank you for being so generous with your time uh, and sharing so much already with us today. So thank you for that. And then, man, keep on building. Keep it up. You're doing amazing things. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. That was fun. Yeah, this is great, man. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Once again, I just want to shout out November's sponsor of the show, Async Art. Everyone should go to async.art to check out all the updates for November. Look out for the layer change on Micah Johnson's sovereignty work scheduled for November 6th. And then also make sure you look out for the November 15th drop of ETH Boy, created by A Lot of Money and Trevor Jones. So thank you again, and don't forget, async.art. That's A-S-Y-N-C dot art. See you next episode.